Hi, Anita. Mark Westcott here. Hello, everybody, hello, and hello, hello again to Anita. Today, our session on estate and succession mastery, and uh, what we call the uh, coach in your pocket. And today, Anita, you're the coach. This is uh, all I am indeed. Technical, this is all the technical stuff today. So <laughs> I know you've been looking forward to this, but um, basically, what I thought we'd we'd talk about today, we've we've talked in general terms about. Uh, of the human elements and uh, and so on before you know talking from your heart in regard to uh, estate planning not always just looking at the, the legal documents and so on but today i thought we'd actually touch on the legal documents and for a lot of people uh, when they're doing you know this they figure that you know they've got a will in their drawer from 20 years ago and they figure that's all they need and uh, it's been gathering dust and becoming more irrelevant by the day but uh, <laughs> uh it's you know, estate succession planning, and we'll just talk about the estate planning today, but, but certainly it's a whole lot more than just having a will in your top drawer, isn't it? There's a whole lot Absolutely. of other documents. And yeah, so on. And but, you, but, yeah, that's right. Sorry. You, uh, I well, I, I think I'll, uh, you would have heard of the uh, the saying, more than just a will. So a lot of people um, just think a will is, is it. Um, a will is better than no will, but there's a lot more to it. Look, absolutely. So, look, let's, let's just start on... Uh, We've got about seven topics here to talk about, the seven different documents which uh, people may or, or may not need, and certainly the most important one is the will. Uh, yeah. So, so let's, let's uh, touch off on, on that, start off on that one. And effectively, um, uh, there's wills and there's wills, aren't there? Absolutely. Uh, there's all types of wills, basic, more complex ones with testamentary trusts in them uh, and different types of trusts. But I, I think... Um, Mark, as you said, the point here is that uh, you get the right advice and you're informed and then you make the right decision as to what you need. So as I said, uh, a will is better than no will and I think that's because you are able to make some choices that you would otherwise have if you didn't have a will. Uh, so the purpose, the basic purpose of your will is to document how you wish to leave your assets, your estate uh, after you die and who to. Uh, but there's a lot more things that a will can do, which people probably don't sure. think of um, when when, when it first comes to mind. So, for example, in a will, you can nominate who you would like to administer your estate. So you nominate your executor. Uh, if you yep. don't have this in your will, uh, then it, it could be the result that the person you don't want doing that or you're not comfortable with doing that ends up doing that. Um, further, there could be some further costs which are, uh, which are incurred by your estate after your death. So you get to choose who you want to look after your affairs basically after your death by nominating your executor in your will. Another really uh, important thing that you can do in your will that a lot of people don't think of is that you can nominate your wishes as to guardians of children. So uh, if both biological parents are predeceased, then this does carry some weight, subject to any final decision of the family court uh, who always decide what's in the best interest of the child. But it's a pretty powerful thing, I think, to, in your will, be able to nominate uh, who you would wish to look after your children if, if you weren't here or if both parents weren't here. Of course, then we come down to the nitty-gritty, um, which is you can, you in your will, you can set out what you would like to leave to whom. So there are different ways this can be done. Uh, you can just leave the whole lot to someone. And, of course, this yep. is after any liabilities are paid. 
which is the law. You don't get away with that, unfortunately. Um, you can't, you can't you skip can't. all the debts when you go. No, no, bummer. Um, but, you know, you may choose to leave specific gifts to specific people, uh, particularly for things like family heirlooms or uh, things of sentimental value. Uh, you can leave um, your whole estate to someone or you can leave proportions. And then, of course, there are different structures that we can put in place to to provide additional benefits such as trusts and, and capital preservation, which, um, you know, we won't get into too much detail here today. Sure. Mm-hmm. Actually, just before you keep going on there, you know, and not that I'm suggesting anyone tries to avoid paying off their debts, but... The, uh, I mean, the truth is there's uh, certain assets actually don't go through your will anyway, do they? So if, if all right. your assets were owned in, uh, were owned in superannuation funds or, or family trusts or if you had life insurance with beneficiaries that you might have your spouse or your children as beneficiaries, all those things don't actually yeah. go through your will uh, at all anyway, do they? So Absolutely, that's right. And a, and a misconception, well, probably not a misconception, just something that a lot of clients that come to see us just don't realise. So... For example, jointly held assets such as a joint bank account with your spouse uh, or a a property held as joint tenants, which is as opposed to the term tenants in common, means that when one person passes away, the asset automatically goes to the survivor. It doesn't go through your will. So you don't have Mm. a a say in that um, particular instance. Uh, As you mentioned, also superannuation, and we'll talk a little bit about binding death benefit nominations shortly. But superannuation is totally separate to your other assets which you can leave in your will. So it's really important to understand how that flows through and what you need to put in place because especially these days a lot of people have their wealth in superannuation. So it's a it's a very important um, document. Yep. So where there's a will, there's a way. You had to, you had to throw I, it in, Mark, did you? I just had to do that one. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I just, had to throw it I've been, in. <laughs> I've been sitting here for five minutes wondering when I could just jump off that one. <laughs> well, you've but, done uh, it. But I've done it now, so now we can get on and be sensible. Um, but, but certainly, uh, talk, talk please, if you would, Juanita, about um, the guy before he committed suicide that uh, typed his, uh, some notes into his iPhone and uh, mm. they found it and that was constituted as a, as a legal document. I mean, this, yeah. and I don't mean to, to confuse everyone here, but, but um, you know, people have written, written wills on the back of a piece of paper and, uh, yeah. you know, as, as they're dying and they've had two people sort of witness the scribbles on a piece of paper and they've been constituted to be legal wills. Now, having said that, there's a lot of, uh, you know, had to, to go through court for that to be yeah, that's uh, declared right. as a genuine will so. so we don't recommend anyone write their wills <laughs> on their beer cartons or stubby coolers or iphones etc but it's not the sure. advice from today <laughs> no, however no. um there is a special area uh in the in the law which allows for um such pieces of documents such documents to be held by a judge as an informal will uh, there's sure. a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hurdles to, to cross before such a document can be held as a will. It means you have to go to court or someone has to take it to court and costs mm. tens of thousands of dollars. So um, for saving a few bucks and, and writing a will on a post-it note or a, um, you know, mm. a, a, any such thing, uh, you're not really saving any money. That's why it's not recommended because it, there's a lot of um, expense involved in taking something like that to the court to get it uh, to get it 
I guess, um, held as an informal will is, is what we call it in lawland. Uh, and it may not just happen too. There's lots of uh, specific legal tests sure. that have to be passed. So possible, yeah. not recommended. Aren't you glad I brought that up? Not. Oh, I could talk more <laughs> about that topic. We'll, we'll save that for another time. There's some really no, interesting no. things that have been held as, as wills, absolutely, um, but uh, yeah. certainly not um, the recommended choice. <laughs> and, and at what cost and at what aggravation? Absolutely. To, to family so yeah uh, and, and I, uh, I, I might just sorry mark i might just add there when you mentioned no. um cost a very common question we get is why can't i just do a uh will kit down at the news agents and the answer oh. is you, you, you can no. but no. i um i in my experience have seen that go wrong so many times by mm. um the wrong things being written in an attempt to make it clear uh, and it ends up being a lot more expensive. Things being left out like superannuation like we just spoke about. So, you know, I, I always am of the philosophy a will is better than no will but um, a wrong will or a badly drafted will is a disaster. Yeah, look, as, as you know, I often talk about in webinars on all the podcasts I do and any videos I throw up in the world, I always talk about the fact that about 95 to 97 percent of, uh, uh, of of people who make wills um, aren't specialists, and uh, and I always talk about, you know, if you've got an estate over five million dollars, uh, you need to go to one of the three percent of lawyers that really know what they're talking about, and uh, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, if there's not a lot of money and there's not a lot of beneficiaries, uh, you know, you want to go to the news agent and make life complicated for everyone after you're gone. That that's your option, but I mean, this what we're talking about here in regard to to estates and succession planning and so on. I mean, you need to take professional advice. You need to get it done properly because one of the biggest growth areas and and uh, disappoints me. This part is uh, contesting wills, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. We're seeing more and more and more of it uh, in the courts in 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 Australia. Uh, it'll continue to grow. It's yep. a growth area of the law. Um, unfortunately, as you say. Um, a, a common question which I thought of as you were just talking that we often get is what happens when there is no will? And the answer to that is that there is a formula set by the law which decides who gets what out of your estate. So for most people, um, that's a little bit unsavoury that you have no uh, discretion or no um, involvement at all as to who gets your estate. It's it's purely prescribed and it follows a formula. So um often not a great result so, so ballpark if, uh, if mum and dad both uh, didn't make it home last night and was mm. oh, sorry if, if dad didn't make it home last night mm. um, and mum and, and three kids are left and, and let's say there's 10 million dollars and there's mm. no will ballpark mm. that's distributed uh, is there a is, does it depend the formula or is yeah, there a... the, the, that's right. The formula depends on if there's a spouse and if there's children and how many children, and then um, if there isn't, then it cascades down to other relatives. But the the issue can be there that um, in the example that you just gave, where one spouse passes away and there's children, then it does mm. get split up between the children also, and it might leave the other the, the surviving spouse with a bit of a shortfall or. Uh, sure. issues with the family home because the family home has to technically be split up between the children. So it, that, that formula can be very problematic in some particular fact scenarios. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a good one at looking at the worst case scenarios, but, I mean, if you've got children, 
if there are children and they go through divorce and all those sorts of things, it means there's no mm. protection of assets for failed marriages, bankruptcy, and uh, and all those sorts of things. And as you say, it could leave the spouse with uh, without a house to live in. Absolutely, you know, it's uh, possible. Yeah. If there's not a good relationship between mum and the kids, uh, the kids mm. can just sell up and um, and take their money. And so, uh, you know, yes, yeah, this is one of these things. I always. I always say what you do is is a bit akin to brain surgery. If you've got a brain tumour, you, you don't go to a GP and you certainly don't go to the news agent to find out um, uh, how to fix your brain tumour. You don't go to Google. You actually go to a specialist and uh, yeah, and, yeah. and so on. So, um, yeah, wills, wills are just such a fundamental and important thing. I mean, for goodness sake, I was talking to someone yesterday, a, a farmer, and um, uh, in their 50s, uh, three kids, they don't even have a will. Mm. Uh, and it's, mm. you know, it, it, it's, it's there and there's plenty of, there's, you know, 90 odd percent of people don't have a, an up-to-date or uh, appropriate will. So it's just, yeah. it's just how it is. It's not and good, it's not, but, it, but our purpose not. is to make it better. It's not top of the list of fun things to do, is it? It's not um, not a exciting topic that, that, you know, that people rush off to do, but um, it's a it's a must. Mm. Yes, not dinner party conversation as we it's say. Not, well, so it's not at not at most people's places, maybe at ours. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it might be at yours. Um, okay, so let's talk about enduring uh, enduring powers of attorney and, and the confusion yeah. between sometimes powers of attorney, enduring powers of attorney and so on. And oh, sure. Power. Yeah, so an enduring power of attorney is a document that allows you to nominate who you would like to make decisions on your behalf when you lose capacity that is mental capacity, uh, and it can also be drafted such that um, while you still have capacity, you can uh, give your authority to someone to make decisions on your behalf, for example, if you're on a cruise over in Europe. But um, the, the, the important part of this is enduring, which means that when you lose capacity, the document kicks in and continues uh, until your death, and that's where it's different from just a general power of attorney, uh, which doesn't continue. So the, the, this very powerful document. So you can nominate who you would like to make decisions on your behalf uh, when you lose capacity for both financial matters and personal and health matters. So they can be the same person. They can be different people if you think different people are suited to um, the particular decision. Uh, and you can nominate a single person. You could nominate um, multiple people and dictate how you would like them to make decisions, so jointly. Uh, majority, for example, if you have a few children that you, you want to be involved mm. in those decisions. So um, look, these days it's, it's terribly important, um, particularly with people living longer lives um, and having that document in place because if, you know, the unfortunate should happen and you need someone to be there making decisions for you, uh, that document's in place. Um, yep. Also, as I said, for uh, financial matters, it's it's a very useful document, uh, even though you may still have capacity. So you haven't lost your marbles yet, shall we say. Um, but if you, uh, uh, as I said, on a holiday overseas, you can uh, nominate someone to fill out documents at the bank for you is, a, is an example. So um, it's, yep. a, it's a very good logistically to have that in place also, very useful in our daily lives. Sure. If uh, you're going through a property deal or something like that and... Uh you're in Antarctica and can't be contacted, then a power of attorney will allow someone to sign those documents. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Not that, um, any, not that any of us will be going on cruises for a while. 
No, we won't. Or planes. But but it, when we do, it'll be good to have that in place. Um, and, I, and, I, and I should add there, um, and, and, and like we said for wills, an enduring power of attorney um, is a form, it's a form, it's a template. However, again, getting that specialist advice is really important because these days we draft particular terms in enduring powers of attorney. It's not just a tick and flick, tick the boxes and move on. Mm. Um, we draft particular terms in there which allows your attorney to deal with things such as your superannuation, um, okay. uh, land employment, uh, make sure that we allow for certain situations which may be relevant such as conflicts of interest and gifting. So um, there is a danger in just ticking and flicking the form and putting it in the top drawer that it hasn't really uh, achieved what you might want it to achieve when you when and if you do lose capacity. Sure, and, I, and you touched on one of the things earlier too, and that is uh, you may have certain people in your family that are uh, more astute and more controlled in regard to financial matters. And you might have other people in the family who are a bit more compassionate if you're lying on your uh, hospital bed. Uh, they may be a little more compassionate about keeping the power on or turning it off. So, you know, they can be, they can mm. be different people. Yeah, that's right. And, and I guess that leads us a, a little bit into the next document that we should um, we, we should talk list. about we should talk about advanced health directives yeah absolutely so you know you you touched on the people that need to be making health decisions for you at that crucial time mm. um, as we said your attorney can make those decisions on your behalf but this document again a separate document i'll often say to uh, to clients that this is a really useful document if you have very strong particular beliefs uh, on matters such as resuscitation, life prolonging, medical treatment, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it's also very useful if you want to take that pressure away from your attorney. So mm-hmm. you know if it's there that if it's there and it's documented, it's what you wanted. Uh, emotionally, it can be a lot easier for your attorney when they're sitting there or standing there being asked by a doctor what to do to refer to that than have to. Um, grapple with that themselves, even though they may know your wishes. Uh, and also if there's a potential, uh, if you have a couple of attorneys, for example, that you're worried there might be some dispute or disagreement between different family members when that decision comes. For example, if you had a, a couple of children, uh, they might not agree on on those health decisions. This can help eliminate potential um, disputes and, and acrimony down the track. So um, it's it's a pretty confronting document in some ways. It asks very specific questions, as I said, about those sort of medical matters. Uh, you are actually required to go to a doctor and, and uh, get them to con- uh, sign off the document in front of you after having explained the terms and being satisfied that you have an understanding of, of what you're signing to and what you're ticking and the terminology. And then, again, sure. similar to an enduring power of attorney, it also needs to be witnessed by a, a qualified person, um, being a solicitor or a JP. Yeah, and I guess the, the big advantage of uh, these health directives is, uh, you know, if you've got children who are sitting there going, how can we let mum die or how can we let yeah. dad die, you know, you're naturally going to be compelled to, to go for resuscitation. And, and yet the person at that stage in life might, and which is why you have this is is what they're mm. saying in their mind is for goodness sake you know just let me go don't um, 
don't resuscitate, and it takes away mm. the, the guilt and uh, and not the grief, but certainly the guilt in making those decisions. Yeah, because and this allows you to document absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Okay, so let's, uh, and, and that's a very important document. So um, uh, let's move on now to letter of wishes for guardians and executives. Yeah. Let's talk so about this is, why this yeah. is important. Yeah, this is something um, that you may choose to accompany your will. So it is, as the name suggests, a letter that you can express your wishes to the person or persons that you've named as the executor of your will, that that's the person who carries out the, um, the, their duties to administer your estate or the guardians of your children. And they could be the same person, quite frankly. Sure. But um, an example of the sort of things you might put in there uh, would be to the guardians of your children. You might put down uh, what your wishes are, especially if you've got minor children, as far as um, where you'd like them schooled or what type of schooling or education that you um, wish them to have. You might like them to um, be able to enjoy travel or be able to enjoy um, you know, sports or that sort of thing. It, it, it basically can write down your philosophies and wishes for the upbringing of your children so your guardians know and um, have some guidance for when they're making those decisions and when they're, um, uh, I guess, uh, looking after those children after your death. And sure. similarly with the, with the wishes to the executives, you might want to put in certain um, wishes and directions as to businesses or entities that may assist with them with, uh, with controlling those entities after your death. Okay. No, that's good. Now, you, you mentioned before about uh, superannuation. So let's talk about uh, uh, nominations. And it's not just the binding death nominations, but nominations full stop in uh, superannuation yeah. funds. And maybe here you can touch on two ownership in life insurance policies and how important it is for that to be reviewed. Yeah, now we could talk, we could do a whole session on binding death benefit nominations, couldn't we? So We um, could, we could. We could indeed. Um, so uh, a, a, a benefit, death benefit nomination allows you to nominate who you would like to receive your superannuation benefits on your death. Um, yep. Some superannuation trusts, trust funds allow them to be binding, some don't. Uh, it depends whether they're self-managed or whether they're retail funds and, and different, um, different aspects there. So that's probably the first little tip is often, especially with the retail funds, these nominations, if you have them, expire every three years so they need to be renewed mm. um your super beneficiary though another little tip can be only be certain types of people so you can only nominate your super beneficiary to be a spouse a child uh, a dependent or your estate so you can't nominate your neighbor you can't nominate your cousin you can't nominate your brother no no, no, no. you can't nominate your mate no so um, it's quite specific. And if you do nominate the, a person that's ineligible, then the nomination is invalid. So um, lots of nuances with these death benefit nominations. But these days, particularly with a lot of wealth in super uh, and also specific rules around taxable and non-taxable components, yep. um, sure. these, these nominations are very important. Um, well, we, we've said that for every document so far, have we? But, <laughs> They yeah, all are. That's they why, all are. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I think with this one, a lot of people don't know they exist, don't know what they are, don't know what it means, didn't realise that you, your super didn't go in your will. So, 
it's important um, sure. important to to know if you have one in place uh, and that you've got the correct beneficiary nominated and you get the right advice around the, the taxable and non-taxable parts of your superannuation. Most certainly. And I mean, the most obvious thing here, Anita, is uh, if you distribute your superannuation funds equally between your spouse and three, three adult children, well, there's going to be tax payable by the three adult children and the spouse could get it all tax-free. So you're better off giving the super, in some cases, to the spouse and other assets to uh, uh, to other mm. beneficiaries to make sure you minimise your tax. So these are, yep. once again, why it's very important to look at these documents, look at the, the estate as a whole and to yeah. uh, and to make sure you've got these documents. They're not delinquent. I used to call these things, uh, you know, people have a, a pile full of delinquent documents because they're all out of date or not, not appropriate anymore. And there was a, there was a uh, message came up a minute ago. One of our uh, viewers has mm. just put in there, he, wants, he needs a review. Oh. <laughs> he obviously said well, something which has pr prompted that along the way. <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose speaking of reviews, um, a lot of people ask how often should I review these documents? And uh, the answer to that, I would normally say um, either every few years or on a significant event such as um, someone's death, someone's birth, marriage. Oh, we didn't mention that, Mark, did we? So, you know, marriage and no, divorce. No, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'll finish what I was going to say first. Um, selling of businesses, buying of properties, that sort of thing. Um, you should always review your will and your estate plan. Now, doesn't mean you need to change anything. It may be that you've structured it, um, you know, it's been structured perfectly and you don't need to change anything. But on any of those events and every few years at least, we would recommend that you at least take a look and and check that it's still all in order and it suits you for, for your purposes. And certainly in regard to uh, divorce, it's always good to, to check the beneficiaries in your superannuation fund and certainly in regard to your life insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yep. very, a very close friend of mine still had his ex-wife as beneficiary of his $2 million policy for about five years after their divorce. So uh, yeah, very, very common. Very good one to check. Very common uh, after separation that that um, ex-spouses are still beneficiaries of um, of life insurance. Of course, it depends on the circumstances of the relationship with super. They might not be eligible, but you'd still prefer to to have them updated, obviously, than run the gauntlet. Um, marriage and divorce also have an effect on your will. So, uh, unless the will's made in contemplation of marriage and you get married. Um, you don't the have wills a will. are revoked, you don't have a will. And we go right back to the start where we started quite a, a little while ago, um, which so that's totally ineffective. And and likewise, uh, divorce uh, triggers certain things to do with your will. So they are hugely important if you're in those circumstances to um, to take a look at those documents. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, you know, we have different roles. My role is to keep in touch with a client every year and make sure that if things have changed that I bring them back to you to... Uh, Mm. make sure those things are brought back up to date. So yeah. we've just got a few yeah. minutes now. So deeds of variation to FDTs. Only a few minutes, Scott. We could, we, we could talk about this all day, <laughs> couldn't we? We love it. Um, we could. Yeah. Now, again, now we're getting to the sort of bespoke documents that, that not everyone needs, Ooh. but um, but some certainly uh, can make very good use of. So if you have family discretionary trusts, uh, you can't leave the assets that are owned by the trust in your will because the trust owns them. But what you can dictate or con control is is who will control the trust afterwards. So mm. um, as part of your estate planning, we would always look at your, your trustee, 
have a look at who controls it now, who controls it after your death and whether there's any variation required or, or more particularly whether um, a succession needs to be documented so you know that who's going to, to be in control of that, that trust after your death. Hmm. Yeah, just, uh, we'll just cover the one, one more topic just very briefly, then I want to come back to uh, uh, the due diligence which we talked about last week. Mm. Yep, so state so obligation deeds, just yeah, briefly another, what's... Uh, yep, another bespoke uh, document which is not required by everyone but um, may suit some families particularly. We see it a lot in rural families, don't we, Mark? So where um, the deed may help even up um, de uh, gifts and obligations uh, as part of the estate planning down through a generation. Yeah, so if one, if one child ends up with a farm and they're trying to work out how to, they haven't got enough money to sort of create fairness between the other yep. kids, then that's where these, yeah. these things come, come in. So I want to just come back a um, couple of minutes to go and... And what you were talking about there with, with deeds of variation, I mean, all these issues, uh, uh, deeds of variation that may be required because of depending on how the control of trusts are going to pass, the binding death nomination, insurance, beneficiaries, uh, mm. uh, health directives and so on. I mean, this is all the stuff that, you know, last week when we talked about uh, your due diligence report, your proprietary uh, report that you do for clients, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you take care of, isn't it, and, and look at for the clients to, to make sure all these things are up to date and where they're not up to date, hmm. they're not appropriate or there's options that clients can have. Uh, it's your role to um, bring that to, you, to their attention, correct? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, as part of your estate planning, we're, we're doing a bit of digging and, you know, we're asking what your circumstances are and what your entities are and reading the documents that are relevant to that. Um, to give you our recommendations as to which of those documents uh, we think would be useful yeah. to you. And then, then it's up to the individual whether they put that in place or not. At sure. least they're informed and they know the risk uh, of, of having yep. not having something in place. Hmm. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. Well, Juanita, we covered a lot of, uh, a lot of really interesting oh, we stuff did. there. And, and, um, and I guess the point was we wanted to bring up today is that some people, as I said, at the, at the top of this was... Uh, some people think, okay, well, we've, you know, we've got a will that's sitting in the top drawer, that's all we need, and even yeah. though it's 15, 20, 10 years old or whatever, they kind of figure that's all they need in their life, and, and having that gives a sense of comfort, which is very, very misguided. So, um, you know, as I say, if you've got any level of wealth and you're concerned about uh, how that passes to the next generation and, and to your spouse, to the next generation and so on, it's, uh, mm. it's just ever so important, isn't it, to sit down and have a have a chat, review all these documents, ask questions about whether these documents are relative or not and, uh, to you and, um, and, and do something about it to take action to create peace of mind for those left behind. Absolutely. So uh, once again, Juanita, oh, look, big news, big news, huge, massive, massive news. We're now, What's uh, this, that, Mark? We've, well, <laughs> we've become so excited with doing these that we're changing these now to weekly. Yes, Instead we of fortnightly, yeah, yes, we we're, we're having our estate and succession mastery sessions weekly. Uh, they will be streaming both on um, YouTube and on Facebook in our Facebook group there. So look forward to, uh, to being able to provide real value for people on a weekly basis. And, uh, you know, the feedback we've had already in regard to these sessions has been very, uh, very heartening and uh, I'm very grateful for those that um, that are watching this and getting some value and especially for you, Anita, thanks for your time, effort and your wisdom because you're the smart one in this group. And uh, 
I just organise it all. And you, t- you turn up with the brains. <laughs> I, I say nothing, but no, happy to help and also, you know, happy to answer any questions that arise out of these uh, these sessions for anyone that's watching. Yeah, yeah. If you look, anyone's got any questions, please make make comments. You you can make comments in the Facebook group uh, or on the YouTube feed, and yeah. uh, and we'll get back to you. Or at least if we can't get back to you, if we're not sure who you really are, we'll. Uh, We'll make sure we cover it off in the next session. So thanks, everybody, and thanks again, Juanita. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.